Welcome to another Psych Matters podcast from the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists. Psych Matters is a series of discussions on training and practice issues facing trainees and fellows of the college and other important topics in mental health. In this episode of Psych Matters, Dr. Salam Hussain and Professor Paul Fitzgerald discuss transcranial magnetic stimulation. Welcome to the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists Psych Matters podcast series. I'm Salam Hussain, consultant psychiatrist at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital, Western Australia. I have with me today Professor Paul Fitzgerald, Director of Epwood Centre for Innovation in Mental Health in Victoria. Our topic today is about transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS. Hi, Paul, and thank you for your time to talk about TMS today. Hi, Salam. It's a a pleasure to talk to you about this topic. I may start with a question uh, about what TMS. Often we approach by people asking what's TMS. So TMS, or transcranial magnetic stimulation, is a method of stimulating brain activity. It relies on a relatively um, straightforward principle that if you generate If you switch an electrical current on and off, it will generate a magnetic field. And so a TMS machine involves a coil that's placed, just sits on on the scalp surface. A fairly strong current goes through that coil and is switched on and off very rapidly. And when it's switched on and off, it generates this magnetic field that passes into the brain without any resistance. And when you apply a magnetic field to something that conducts electricity, you'll induce an electrical current. And our brains just happen to be full of things that conduct electricity. They're the the nerve cells or neurons in our brain. And so when we apply these TMS pulses, we induce an electrical current in the nerve cells of our brain. At the simplest level, if we we put the coil on, say, the area of the brain that controls the the muscles in in our hands or our arm, it will make those nerve cells fire and it will send a signal down to, to cause a muscle twitch. That's not what we're trying to do when we're using TMS as a therapy though. When we're using it as a therapy, we're targeting an area at the front of the brain and we're providing lots of pulses, hundreds and thousands of pulses across a course of treatment. And the essential principle is that by repeatedly stimulating these nerve cells, we're going to change how they, how they work over time. And that's really what's sort of involved in, a, in, in TMS um, treatment. So you're talking about electricity here and the brain. So what's the difference between TMS and electroconvulsive therapy or ECT? Look, it's a quite different treatment from ECT. Most people will have some awareness of ECT through the media and, and, you know, refers really to the modern version of of shock therapy that people often have um, uh, ideas about. Whereas ECT involves the direct administration of an electrical current to induce a seizure during an anaesthetic. You know, during ECT, people are asleep. They've been given an anaesthetic. TMS doesn't require those things. The patient just sits in a comfortable reclining chair. They're awake throughout the treatment. And the magnetic field gets into the brain without any resistance. So you effectively don't really even feel anything. The only sensation you get from the TMS stimulation is through it stimulating the nerves and muscles in the scalp. 
So it feels a li- little bit like a little woodpecker sitting on your on your head, banging away um, for the few seconds that the machine's on. But otherwise, the person, as I said, is awake and alert and can get up immediately after treatment and usually you know, drive or go home straight away. So it's a it's a quite different treatment from ECT. And, and that's very interesting. So where, where's the idea came from to, to use it in this way in therapy? The, the idea originally came, um, uh, was developed around the time when the first neuroimaging studies were being done of patients with depression. So these were the first studies exploring what was happening in the brains of people with depression. And those early studies showed that there were changes in the on the left side at the front of the brain in blood flow or metabolism there was a reduction in particularly in blood flow and metabolism in the left side of the front area of the brain and tms machines were being built that seemed to increase brain activity but through this repetitive stimulation so sort of one and one were put together and and the idea came up with sort of targeting this area to try to um, reduce depression by increasing brain activity Paul has always been asked, how does this medication work? How does this treatment work? So how does TMS work? Well, we we have a number of ideas of how it works, but we don't have a fully satisfactory explanation yet. We do know that the type of TMS that's used in the treatment of depression does increase local brain activity underneath the coil. But perhaps somewhat more importantly, we also think that when you stimulate that area at the front of the brain, it increases the connections to other important areas of the brain that are involved in depression. Depression is really a network condition. It's not a condition that just affects one part of the brain, but it's a a condition that affects a a variety of areas of the brain and the balance between them and and the connections between them. So we think that TMS most likely works through strengthening some of those connections and rebalancing areas of the brain, perhaps increasing activity of certain areas that are underactive and actually decreasing activity of of areas of the brain that are overactive um, when people are experiencing depression. You mentioned depression. So TMS does work for depression. What's the evidence that TMS work? So, so depression is the is really the the main application for TMS. There are some other conditions in which it seems to work as well, but the the vast majority of studies that have been done have explored the use of of, of TMS in in depression, and they've really followed a fairly standard process where there was. quite a large number of small studies done by independent hospitals and doctors um, initially. Then there were a number of what we call multi-site trials. So these are bigger studies done across multiple hospitals where all that data gets pulled together. And and those sorts of larger studies are usually the sorts of studies that lead to a treatment being approved. And that's exactly what happened with TMS. Then there have been a series of what we call meta-analyses, which are studies where the, the, the data from multiple studies are pulled together. Um, and those meta-analyses are really regarded as the highest level of evidence. And there have repeatedly been meta-analyses conducted that have shown convincing evidence for the efficacy of TMS. And now we're at the final stage, which is that we have data that's been collected in real-world practice. 
um, and you know on on many thousands of patients. So a very large data set was recently analysed and published of over five thousand patients who've had courses of TMS treatment. And that data shows in real world practice that a really substantial proportion of patients who have a course of TMS can expect to get better um, with, a, with, a, with a, a, a course of therapy. And Paul, and as you indicated in the early studies, the, the effectiveness of, of TMS was questioned highly. Um, how well does it work now in modern sort of studies and modern uh, uh, techniques. So, uh, we have certainly seen over time an, an improvement in efficacy, and I think that reflects the fact that the dose of treatment that we use, how long treatment courses go on for, have have increased. And so, a variety of things have changed over time in the way that TMS has been administered. If we look at some of these larger real-world studies that have looked at, you know, over a thousand and in some cases multiple thousands of patients, we tend to see that over 50% of patients get some meaningful benefit from, from TMS therapy. Not all of those patients get completely well, but certainly a significant proportion of them are having a really meaningful clinical response. And it's important to note that these patients included in the majority of these studies tend to be patients who've tried lots of other things. They've often had many different medications. And the expectation of what they would ex what they would expect to happen if they just continued without TMS, taking um, you know, another medication and another medication, um, the outcome would be of, of that of that option, of that treatment path, is likely be, to be pretty poor. You know, we know that if you've had two antidepressants, and now you're going to try a third or a fourth medication, the chance that you'll get better and that you'll stay well for, for 12 months is probably only about one in 20. So it's not, they're not good odds. Um, the odds of you getting better with TMS under those circumstances certainly look a lot better than just you know, continuing trying different forms of medication. Paul, mental illness always associated with relapse and is a problem that, and uh, with ECT, with medication, uh, how long the effect of a, like a TMS course lasts? Is it like uh, with the same as the e ECT or? This is one of the biggest um, challenges with any depression treatment is that, you know, depression does tend to come, come back. And, and TMS is not a cure. Um, you know, we have exactly the same problems that TMS that, that depression can come back after somebody's had a course of TMS. In, um, in some patients, that's relatively quickly. There's a, a minority of patients where depression recurs quite soon. There's another group of patients where the depression stays away for a really long period of time. I've had patients come back after four or five or six years of wellness to have a second course of TMS because their, their depression's coming back, you know, after that very long period of time. And there's a whole lot of people in the middle, you know, who might, who might get nine months, 12 months, two years, two years worth of benefits. There are lots of things patients should, should be thinking about if they get better with TMS that can help prevent de depression coming back. You know, medication might help um, depression uh, staying away. There are forms of psychological treatment like mindfulness-based cognitive therapy that can help keep depression away. And there's emerging evidence, but not yet really definitive evidence, but there's emerging evidence that if you continue with some sort of maintenance TMS, so TMS less regularly, 
um, that might also help prevent depression coming back as well. Lived experience is always important. I see it in ECT. I see it in, 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 in antidepressant medication. Uh, uh, how does how is it like for people having TMS? Generally speaking, but not always, TMS is 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 an extremely well tolerated treatment. As I said before, the, the the most common sensation is this sort of sense of this pulsing or tapping or the woodpecker effect on somebody's head. Um, in most people, that's extremely well tolerated, but there is a small group of people who will find it quite uncomfortable and occasionally painful. Um, you know, I saw a quote recently from a patient who just who did extremely well with TMS, but but described it as having wellness drilled into their head um, because they felt this sensation really strongly. Besides that sensation, which just occurs whilst the machine's on in the short burst that it's on, the most common side effect is a headache that, you know, somebody might finish a treatment session with a headache or feeling sort of tired or worn out. Um, and there is a very, very, very small risk of TMS triggering a seizure like somebody with epilepsy would have. Fortunately, that's extremely rare. In, in, in doing TMS now for over 20 years, I've never actually seen a single seizure occur in any of the patients that I've treated, so it's very rare. Um, but, it, but it can occur, and it's something we have to screen very carefully to make sure people don't have risk factors for. Overall, the dropout rates when somebody has a course of TMS, which are a good reflection on, on tolerability, are extremely low. Um, you know, in, in our hands, they're usually just one or two or maybe 3% of patients won't go through with a course of treatment because of side effects. And that tends to be much, much lower really than any other treatments that we use, any other biological treatments we use um, in psychiatry. It's certainly much lower dropout rates than, than patients taking various forms of medication, for example. So with, with this accumulative data from the late 90s, uh, more than 20 years of data, is it easy to say now or confident to say like uh, TMS is safe? Yes, I think it is. I think we now can be pretty definitive. When I first started doing you know, TMS studies uh, 20 years ago, we were quite concerned about longer term safety. But TMS has now been around for, for many, many years and no significant long-term side effects have emerged. It's been used in a variety of populations, young people, old people. It's been used repeatedly in some patients. I, I know patients have been having repeated courses of TMS for over 15 years without really any negative adverse consequences. And we, and we also know that TMS is, is good for your brain in some ways. Um, you know, we worried because because ECT in particular causes mem can cause memory problems. We were very concerned with would, would we get similar memory problems, and we've never seen those. In fact, we tend to see that patients having TMS get improvements in their thinking. Those improvements in their thinking are most commonly. Um, occur when their mood improves. You know, if your depression gets better, you tend to think better. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we see um, improvements on testing in, in memory and other elements of cognition when people's um, mood hasn't necessarily improved. And that has actually led now to a lot of interest in the use of TMS as a sort of pro-cognitive treatment, something that could be used in patients with Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease, conditions where there are where there are problems with thinking and memory. 
And certainly in the studies that we've done and other studies that have been done internationally, there are, there's evidence that TMS can be helpful um, in, say, for example, somebody with Alzheimer's disease. So we, we've got a very good sense that certainly for your thinking and your brain in general, um, it tends to have benefits rather than, rather than negative effects. And talking about uh, people with depression, which group of people you think TMS is suitable for? And um, would you use it instead of medication? So generally speaking, both the evidence and I think sensible clinical practice suggests that TMS would usually be used in somebody who's tried one or a number of, of antidepressant medications. And I've been a little bit vague there because I think, you know, once you've failed one or two medications, the chances of medication working are are very low. And so TMS is highly justified in those circumstances. Uh, however, I think in somebody who's not had any trials of medication, we don't have a lot of evidence that TMS is effect, you know, TMS really hasn't been evaluated in that group. And because treatment is somewhat cumbersome, you have to turn up to a clinic, it can be expensive, you know, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot more complex to have a course of TMS than it is to take a, to take a tablet. Um, and so I certainly don't recommend TMS in somebody who's who hasn't tried medication yet. And I usually don't recommend it in somebody who's even only tried one medication. But certainly once they've had two or more medications, I think it's a very appropriate, um, a very appropriate treatment. Uh, what's your comment on some sort of latest evidence that about using TMS in acute suicidal patients? And they may be medication naive, they haven't used antidepressant before. So, um, you know, patients who are very suicidal or, or need an antidepressant treatment response because of, of other you know, factors related to urgency, you know, they might be so severely depressed that they've stopped eating and drinking. You know, those patients have, have always been a challenge in psychiatry because most of what we do takes a long time to work. You know, medications take weeks to work. TMS usually takes weeks to work, take weeks to work. And so ECT or electroconvulsive therapy has often been the fallback treatment under those circumstances because it seems to work, um, you know, the quickest of all the treatments that we have. Standard TMS, the way it's normally done, I don't think is a, is a solution to that problem because it does take some time to work. There is a lot of research going on now, including some research that we've done um, in Melbourne, investigating the use of what we call accelerated or intensive TMS protocols. So these are TMS protocols whereas instead, where instead of spreading the treatment out over three, four, six weeks, we, we provide a lot of treatment very intensely over three days, four days, or five days. Some of those protocols seem to produce very rapid antidepressant benefits and can and do seem to ameliorate suicidal ideation very, very quickly. However, I would say that those protocols are still quite experimental and are not really ready for sort of prime time clinical use. I think they're very promising and, and they may well become a, a part of clinical practice in the future, but I, but I don't think we're quite there yet. And there are a lot of antidepressants, count them, and we're just only TMS. Uh, would you try, like, instead of, say, you know, keep trying medications, would be the, the list will be very long. Uh, why you, you rather try TMS? Look, I think, I think the simple answer is, is 
is the evidence, you know, once you've tried a couple of medications, the evidence that you're going to get better with the third, fourth, fifth medication is just very poor. Um, as I said before, you know, once you've tried, if you've unsick, if you've not got better after two medications, the, the likelihood of responding is, you know, falls and then staying well falls to about one in 20. And so they're not really good odds. And so, under those circumstances, I really have no hesitation saying to a patient, look, you know, you, you can do that and that's an easy and it's a cheap and, and um, relatively low, um, you know, it's a practically um, easy thing to do, but you need to accept that the, 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 the likelihood of response is, is, is getting lower with each medication you try. Um, you have this other treatment that, you know, is a bit more cumbersome to try. It's going to be a bigger time commitment, but is, but in reality is probably more likely to, to get you well and, and, and get you back on with, with living your life again. And so I've certainly seen many patients over the years who have got better with TMS, who've then told, said to me, you know, why, I wish I tried this, um, six months two years, sometimes five years ago, because, you know, I've just been trying all these medications and I've not been able to work and I've been disabled and I've been miserable and unhappy. Um, and I, I wish I tried this, you know, uh, a long time ago because, you know, I, it's worked and now I'm better. And I, you know, uh, it would have been far better that I did this um, sooner rather than later. And we're talking about children here, uh, and children are often excluded from, you know, any trials. Uh, so, is TMS suitable for children at all? Look, unfortunately, um, you know, depression does occur in young people. You know, it occurs in children. It occurs in in adolescents. It's it's a, it's it's often diagnosed for the first time. You know, when somebody's a teenager, that's a very common time for depression to appear for the first time. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot of ev a lot of good evidence yet exploring the use of TMS in younger people. There are some studies emerging. It seems to be safe from what we've seen so far, but we we don't have a really good evidence base yet. So most people would regard using you know TMS in say somebody who's sixteen or younger as still somewhat experimental. Um, it's you know we're we're hopeful about that, but we really still need to see further research in that in that age group. You mentioned about the cognitive enhancing effect of, of uh, TMS. So is it suitable to use in older adult? So in, in older patients with depression, TMS can be very effective. In fact, there's really no evidence that TMS is less effective as you get older. For actually for quite a while in the, in, back in the early 2000s, we believed that patients who were older didn't do as well with TMS. But that was probably just um, an artifact of some of the very early studies that were done. The doses probably weren't high enough. And in fact, some of the more recent studies that have been performed suggest that older people do just as well. And in some analyses, they even do better than younger people um, with, with TMS. So there's really no reason not to, to provide TMS as a therapy in older patients. And we've, we commonly will treat patients who are in their 70s, their 80s, and even occasionally in their, in their 90s, and have seen many of those patients do very well with a course of TMS treatment. And um, you mentioned about the safety of TMS. Uh, what about uh, uh, women with uh, who are pregnant or with breastfeeding? Look, that's a very interesting interesting population for for TMS. Um, you know, 
Unfortunately, and we've seen this in some of the controversy about COVID vaccines recently, women who are pregnant tend to get routinely excluded from most research studies, um, which means that when a new treatment becomes available, you know, it's something that it's difficult to, to provide to, to pregnant women. There have been a number of small studies done in recent years exploring the use of TMS in pregnancy, and they haven't identified any particular risks or concerns. We know from um, what we call modeling studies, studies that look at the extent of the magnetic field, that it's extremely unlikely that the magnetic field extends from the head where the coil is into the, into the abdomen of a pregnant woman. So it's unlikely that a fetus would be exposed to, to a, a magnetic field that's abnormal in any way. Um, but we're still, we're still lacking some data. I actually think in the long run, TMS might prove but ultimately become sort of almost a treatment of choice for women who are breastfeeding or who are pregnant because there's no systemic exposure to antidepressant drugs or to other other treatments. So, you know, women who don't get better with psychological treatments may choose to have TMS as their first line treatment, but we've still got a bit of a ways to go until we get to that situation. Um, and Paula, I go to another area, which is the accessibility for a treatment is often a problem across Australia. Uh, is TMS available everywhere? So this this is still really the biggest challenge for TMS in Australia. Um, there are countries in the world now, including in the US, where TMS is widely available, it's funded by most private insurers and under Medicaid and Medicare programs in the US. In Australia, We've, we've had a, undergone a long process to try to get Medicare funding for TMS and um, the Medicare Services Advisory Committee, which is the group that evaluates the science and the health economics, you know, is TMS cost effective, have recommended to the federal government that TMS should be funded through Medicare. And we're currently waiting on, a, on the government to act, actually implement that, that recommendation. We're hoping that will happen late in 2021 or early in 2022, but we still don't have that yet. Um, so currently, there is a lot of TMS done in Australia, but a lot of it's done on an inpatient basis where patients admit themselves into private hospitals and then the hospitals provide the treatment for their inpatients. But TMS doesn't need to be done in hospital. It can be done on an outpatient basis. And so we really are, are hoping that the Medicare funding comes through sooner rather than later so we can expand the number of um, outpatient, the number of patients who 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 get TMS on an outpatient basis. There are certainly the clinical services now available. Um, you know, TMS is widely available in metropolitan areas. There are now TMS clinics in a lot of regional centres um, and even some, some rural areas now. Um, and so we're, we're really um, moving to a situation where I think more and more patients will be able to access the treatment. We just need that, that final um, element of the financial support through Medicare to enable this to become a much more widely available treatment in Australia. Uh, Paul, you are a well-known researcher in the area, like within Australia and internationally. Um, I, I wonder now, uh, probably a question to you, what are the three research questions that you ask in at the moment? So I think the, the biggest research questions probably fall into three categories to, for my mind. The first one is, is the question of, of maintenance treatment that I mentioned earlier on. You know, we need better evidence to um, 
of the effect of long-term maintenance TMS to really allow us to go back to people like Medicare and allow them to fund that. So we're looking at trying to get funded a very large scale study of maintenance treatment to try to prove out that it works. Um, the second area that we're particularly interested in is, is um, something like we talked a little bit about before is these intensive protocols or accelerated protocols where we can try to use TMS to get patients better more rapidly. And the third area that we're quite interested in, in and doing research in is ways of explore, exploring ways to improve the effectiveness of treatment. We know TMS works and it works for a lot of people, but we think it could even be better. And so we're doing research on ways of personalizing the treatment experience to try to enhance efficacy. So for example, it looks like we, we may be able to use MRI-based imaging to get a better idea of where to place the TMS coil um, when we're stimulating someone's brain to potentially more selectively um, target the areas of the brain that are involved in depression. We're also doing research where we're measuring the brain waves of individuals so that we use, I think, a technology called electroencephalography or EEG. We record their brain waves and we're, we're then selecting a specific frequency to apply to somebody's brain based on their individual measure of brain activity, again, as a way to try to enhance efficacy. So if we can improve efficacy, we can improve efficiency and, and, and apply the treatment in, a, in these more rapid protocols, and we can improve the use of TMS as a maintenance treatment. We think all three of those things will make very big differences to, to patients in the future. And Paul, you mentioned that uh, TMS being used for uh, other psychiatric disorder and neurological disorder other than depression. What are these things, if we just briefly list them, that could be used? Look, you know, TMS has been tried in, in the treatment of just about anything that affects um, people's mental health or the brain. There are, you know, if, if you named a neurological or a, or a psychiatric condition, I could probably find at least one research study where somebody's tested whether TMS um, might help that condition. However, there's a, there's a smaller range of areas where we have decent data. Um, the, really, the, the second cab off the rank or the second condition that's achieved approval in, 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 in some countries is obsessive compulsive disorder. So there is a form of TMS now that has been approved in the US for obsessive compulsive disorder, and we're increasingly starting to use um, uh, treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder in Australia as well. There are different TMS protocols that have been explored for um, disorders of addiction um, and, dis and a particular type of TMS has now been approved in the US for, um, it, as an aid in smoking cessation. There have been a, there's been a lot of studies exploring the potential use of TMS um, in treating patients with chronic pain, uh, various types of chronic pain. Um, another area where, where I've been, had a, a long-term interest in is treating patients with schizophrenia who are, have persistent auditory hallucinations. So these are patients who continue to hear voices. They're on medication and often the medication is helping control a number of their other symptoms, but they persistently hear often very negative voices that are saying derogatory things, maybe telling them that they're a bad person or that they should harm themselves. And these are often very distressing symptoms. 
And TMS applied in a very different way to the way we use it in depression. So we're not trying to increase brain activity. We're actually trying to reduce brain activity and we're targeting it to an area of the brain that's involved in processing speech and speech memory. It, um, that can be very effective in, in treating these hallucinations. It doesn't work in everybody, but when, when it does work, it seems to work very, very potently. So that's another, another application that's been explored. There's a variety of other conditions, things like post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety disorders where there's ongoing research. And so hopefully, um, you know, over the coming years, we will gradually see more of these applications becoming available for, for individuals um, as the data, you know, gradually accumulates. Uh, Paul, I have a lot of questions like coming to my mind as we talk. Uh, um, but just to mention the last question probably for this podcast and maybe another opportunity to explore the other questions. Um, are you working on any other technique or innovation or treatment modality that other than TMS? So our research program is, is broadly speaking, trying to develop a range of what we call forms of brain stimulation. So using electrical or magnetic fields to try and, and modify brain activity with therapeutic intent. Um, and so over the years, we've explored a range of different treatments, things like uh, magnetic seizure therapy, which is a which is a way of trying to produce a seizure instead of using electricity in in, in ECT. Um, we so we've been involved in developing a variety of these sorts of technologies. The one that I'm most excited about at the moment is a technique called transcranial alternating current stimulation, or TACS. Some people call it TAX. Um, tax involves a very weak electrical current that's administered to the brain through two um, electrodes that just sit on the surface of the scalp. Um, they're very weak current, so you barely feel them. Um, and the reason why we think um, TACS or tax might be, be a really useful intervention is a bit like the way we can individualize TMS by measuring brain activity. With tax, we can record electrical activity of the brain, try to understand how we might try to modify that electrical activity, and then apply this alternating current frequency at a personalized frequency. For you, it might be 12.5 hertz or, or cycles per second. For me, it might be 9.8 cycles per second. So we're going we're to try to personalize the administration of this stimulation in a way that matches something about your brain and about the disorder that we're trying to treat. And so we're currently running studies exploring the use of this sort of treatment in a way that we could potentially even use at home. Um, somebody could take one of these devices home and have this treatment. We're currently exploring the use of that in depression, and we're also exploring the use of it in, in disorders of cognition, such as Alzheimer's disease or mild cognitive impairment. So that's something we're quite excited about, but, but still need to do a, a lot of research before that's ready for, for use in, in clinical practice. Interesting area to explore, uh, Paul. Thank you again, Paul, for your time and for, for uh, uh, you know, this uh, um, information about uh, TMS and other neurostimulation. Uh, and that's all from me, uh, Salam Hussein. Thank, thank, thank you very much, Salam. It, it, it's been a great pleasure to talk about it. And I hope, hope our listeners have learned a little bit more about TMS and, and some of the future things coming up for the treatment of, of of these of these conditions we hope you enjoyed this episode of psych matters feel free to share it with others and keep an eye out for future episodes 
Psych Matters is produced by the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists.